Hello and thank you for downloading episode 104 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. I want to tell you three things that you can do if you want to help support the show right now. Number one, join our Facebook group. There is a great community of people on there arguing with us, arguing with each other, generally having a good time and getting into the silly fun that we like to have on the show. Number two, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, those things not only help new people find the show, but it also affects when we're able to roll out new merch. The more people that are giving us feedback, telling us they like the show, the more likely it is we'll be able to get more merch for the people who want it. And then finally, you can actually get a new piece of merch that we have right now. It's the Suck It to the Peanut shirt, our inaugural wearable piece of merch. And you can get that right now by going to bit.ly forward slash peanut shirt. And that will take you to the Max Fun store in Topotico. Uh, you can get all sorts of great Max Fun stuff there, but pick up one of those t-shirts. They are shipping later this month and there's going to be a limited run. So get them while they last. Get it for you, for a friend. It's going to be a conversation starter, that I can promise. But now, without any further ado, here's episode 104 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Lethal weapon or die hard. Hi everybody, Mark here. Um, don't tell Hal, but I've never seen a Lethal Weapon movie. I hope I don't get busted. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. I'll tell you what, Mark. What's that, Hal? I'm getting too old for this spit. You know what I say to that? What? Yippee-ki-yay, melon farmer. <laughs> well, here we are. Yeah. Discussing 80s action movies. Now, these are two of my favorite film series mm -hmm. of all time. They hit at just the right time. Lethal Weapon uh, started in 1987 and mm -hmm. then Die Hard in 1988. And these are quintessential 80s action movies. These are dudes with their clothes getting ripped, carrying guns, uh, shooting against people whose clothes are not getting ripped. And here's uh, the thing. While saxophones play. This is, yes. And that's, that's become like the, uh, the parody. If you're going to parody an 80s action film, you're probably going to do one of these. Cause Lethal Weapon, you have the mismatched partners. Where one is a mm -hmm. loose cannon and the other is is like a week away from retirement, and then mm -hmm. Die Hard is the classic right guy in the wrong place and the wrong time, yeah. And having to do having a man thrown into a circumstance and having to deal with it, yeah. And that movie has gotten to the point where it became a movie pitch in itself. So anything mm -hmm. like Under Siege would be Die Hard in a submarine. Did we both uh, loop the movie Command Performance? Have we talked about this? I don't remember which one that is. That is the one where Dolph Lundgren uh, also directed the movie, no. uh, <laughs> who is great, by the way. Uh, Ivan Drago from Rocky IV yeah. directed this movie and directed us in the booth. He was nice enough to come and record those sessions with us. Oh, I was and, not there. Um, uh, and uh, it is he is a rock and roll drummer in a Motley Crue-esque band playing in Moscow at a stadium 
and it is Die Hard in a stadium after a or during a rock concert where the drummer is the John McClane character. And at one point, he kills a dude by jamming a drumstick through his head. And at another point, he kills a dude who is standing in front of a stack of speakers by picking up a guitar, plugging it in, turning it up to 10, and slamming a power cord so heavily that this guy's ears explode or his eardrums explode. Killing him. Killing him instantly, yeah. Or at least disabling him for the rest of the movie. That's why I don't go to concerts. You know, you (laughs) are a Freddy cat. My greatest fear. Hey, it's turned out sometimes it's a warranted fear. Okay? You just told me you saw a guy whose head exploded in a movie. Loud noise. In in a movie. In a documentary directed by a documentary. Narrative film. All of a sudden, I'm supposed to be okay taking my life into my hands. Going to Let the me ask you this. Tour? Yes. Let me ask you this, Hal. Go ahead. Tell me. Speaking of Rocky Four and Dolph Lundgren, uh-huh. did, Dolph, did Dolph Lundgren kill Carl Weathers? Yeah. Okay. He we did. need to really have a sit down, you and me, and talk about fact versus fiction. Okay. Is that going to be a future episode? Yes, it is. Fact or fiction. Ooh. Right. That's not bad. Well, in the meantime, oh, man. <laughs> That bit was so not worth it just because of where it wound up taking us. Yeah, dude, I will do an episode about anything with an or in it. Yeah. (laughs) Believe it or not. Yeah, I will do an episode (laughs) between believing it or not. (laughs) Yeah. Wait till you hear our this or that episode. Exactly. Believe it or not, we are going to discuss two of the most uh, beloved action film franchises of the late 80s. Uh, Some of uh, one series of which has gone all the way through to um 2013 that's true die hard uh what was the last die hard called live free no a good day to die hard a good day to die hard yes Yes. and that is the one with his son that's the terrible one well there are a couple terrible ones actually live free or die hard was better than i thought it was gonna be but let's uh let's uh okay (laughs) i want to discuss what may be the elephant in the room okay and that What's is that? that that the Lethal Weapon series stars mm-hmm. Mel Gibson, who is a controversial yeah. figure in the entertainment industry. You know, and in, I want to ask you about this, Hal. Yes, you please. mentioned to me the other day that for some reason you are able to compartmentalize Mel Gibson and enjoy his work, but not his personal life and his uh, espoused hatred of certain ethnic groups. Yes, there is, there is a point in his career before he went off the rails and before a lot of the accusations began flying around, uh, where I was a big fan of his work. I still mm-hmm. consider Braveheart to be an extremely well-made film. I obviously don't agree with a lot of the mistakes he's made. I've read articles, um, in defense of him from people who, uh, you know, who went and reported and interviewed him. So there's an interesting perspective. It's not necessarily black and white. That does not obviously to me forgive the things that he's done. However, uh, the lethal weapon films are so well made and I really enjoy them. And I, I continue to enjoy them to the, to this day. I can still enjoy those films. So I, I we want to get that out of the way. Uh, I don't know, man. That seems a little like, you know, Oh, you're supposed to boycott this thing because, uh, because of its terrible, terrible stance on this, that, or the other. And you're like, yeah, but I like Diet Coke. 
Well, but I like Chick Fil A. To be fair, it's not it's not a support of the person. It's it's, it's not I, it's not quite woke. Not quite woke, Hal. It's not quite woke. I I certainly enjoyed the film when it came out, and I watched it a lot. I can't remember the last time I saw it, but if Lethal Weapon is on, if any of the mm-hmm. first, uh, well, certainly if the first two are on, I will watch them. Um, the third one I think is okay. The fourth one is not great, but uh, you know, there it's an iconic film. It still is, and it's not vilified in the same way. It's not like it's a Bill Cosby film. You know right. what I mean? It's a different... Uh, yeah, Mel Gibson sort of just got thing. really drunk and said what he really felt. Bill he Cosby said, <laughs> did, did uh, got terrible. them wasted and felt what he really wanted. Yes, there you go. Oh, man. So, we're going to look at the film series only. We're not going to be discussing the recent Lethal Weapon television series, which I've heard is good, but I have not seen. Okay. Have, you, have you seen it? Mark? No. Television series? Uh, I have not. Okay. So you haven't seen, you've not seen Lethal Weapon yet? Uh, no. Okay. Great. So then we'll just stick to the films. Um, okay. Okay. We have a few different criteria here. Uh, so I have a, the Rotten Tomato score for each film. Mm-hmm. We have the total box office gross, which is kind of tough to use as a judgment only because, uh, you have to adjust for inflation. So right. the first Lethal Weapon made $65 million in 1987, which in 2017 dollars would certainly be north if not close to $100 million. So it would be considered a hit film, and it certainly was in its time. Um, and if you look at these two uh, next to each other, if you're comparing – if you're trying to compare apples to apples, mm-hmm. um, you can look at Lethal Weapon 1 versus Die Hard 1. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2 versus Die Hard 2, because both of those were made only one year apart from each other. So the inflation rate, while relative to all of uh, cinema history, may be a little skewed. When you look at them directly next to each other, it's not. That's true. That's true. So very Lethal Weapon made $65 million. Die Hard made $81 million. Lethal Weapon 2 made $147 million. Die Hard 2 only made $117 million. Yes. Um, okay. So, uh, how do you want to dive into this? Um, why don't we, well, what other criteria do we have aside from the numbers? Because well, let's, let's start by going over the numbers. Then we can talk about, uh, the characters, the main characters in them. Sure. Then we can talk about, uh, the fun of the movies themselves, the plot twists and the explodey parts and the stunts and all that. Yes. Um, and, uh, and I think by then we might know. And I then, of so course, too. cultural impact, which we've already touched on a little bit as far as Lethal Weapon being the buddy cop uh, standard bearer and Die Hard being the first half of any movie pitch. Yes, absolutely. And also, I mean, they're, they're quotable, as you said, yippee ki uh Melon Farmer, which has been said in every single one of the Die Hard movies. Then you've got I'm Too Old for This Crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, crap in in uh, parentheses. We are we are changing the words for our younger viewers because there's a lot of swearing in these movies. Yes, younger viewers, you are too young to watch these. But when you get a little older, you're you're really going to enjoy them. I think. Also, why are you listening to a podcast that pits R-rated movies against each other, youngster? You go to bed right now. Yeah, go to bed and do, don't have dessert. Okay, you don't need to have it every night. No, Hal, Hal, what? On. What? I'm just trying to help them grow up healthy. 
they can have dessert if they want dessert. We already told them they couldn't listen what listen to the R-rated show. Well, they can have dessert once in a while, Mark, but I'm saying they shouldn't have dessert every night. Otherwise, okay, they're going to think it's a reward. Well, I, I'm not trying to reward them, but I think that it's an honest way to, you know, get them to stop listening to the show if they clog their heads up with assorted sweets. That's a good point, Mark. I just think that they're good kids and I want what's best for them. And I know that you do too. I know. I know. Can we not do this here? Okay. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, Lethal Weapon was the first of these, of either movie to be released. Uh, it features, uh, Danny Glover as Roger Murtaugh, who is a police detective who's on the verge of retirement, is in fact celebrating it with his family. He has, I believe, three or four children. No, correct me if I'm wrong. He is on the verge of retirement for uh, four straight films. No, 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 no. He decides to stay on. I think he actually does. Uh, by the fourth, he actually is retiring or maybe uh, does retire. That's right. I remember that from watching them. But yeah, he's a week away and he finally, you know, he's ready and he's excited to retire and he wants to move on, even though he's relatively young at that point. I think they put a little bit of gray in his temples to indicate that he was going to retire. How old was Danny Glover? Like 45? I'm not sure. That is a good question. I did not do that research, and I'm not going to take the time to look it up. But uh, no I know a little factoid about uh, about Danny Glover that is kind of interesting. Please, uh, he has epilepsy, and acting was what would prevent him from having seizures. He would walk off stage when he was doing a play, and they would be waiting for him to have an epileptic seizure because for some reason he would never have them while he was in front of an audience. That's amazing. He's such a talented yeah. actor. Yeah. And a great choice for a movie like that. I think the thing that elevates these movies are the performances in it. It's not – we got a lot of generic bad guys in the movies that would follow these, just sort of the mm-hmm. knockoffs and imitators. But, I mean, you have Alan Rickman as the villain in uh, in Die Hard. Alan Rickman is such a wonderful, wonderful villain. Absolutely. That, that can we, You know what? I know we said what our criteria were going to be. Can yes. we start with an appetizer of the villains? Because the Die Hard movies, I- I'm going to be leaning more toward the Die Hard movies in this. I can go ahead and tell you right now. Okay. Um, you look at the collection of villains in the Die Hard movies, and they are the actors that they got to play these created such great, memorable characters. You've got, um, you've got Alan Rickman in the first film. You've got William Sadler in the second film. You've got Jeremy Irons gobbling up scenery in the most subtle way in the third film. You've got Tim Oliphant in the fourth movie as a tech, uh, as a sort of cyber warfare terrorist. And, um, I'm not going to lie. I did not see the fifth one. So I have no idea. I, I would think it was a more generic bad guy. I don't really remember it either. Mm-hmm. I think it was the Soviets are the bad guys in that one or some. Which is Soviets. weird that it was 2013. Yeah. Yeah. It was sort of like the, you thought the Cold War was over, but we're restarting it or whatever. It was like some odd. Oh, I heard that. Plot. Where did I just hear that? CNN. That's where I just heard that. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't help myself. Well. That be it as it may, <laughs> that w- whether that movie may have been a portent or not, I do not remember the villain in that. Uh, there are some decent uh, villains in Lethal Weapon uh, as well. Uh, you mm-hmm. had a, a a still at the height of his powers, Gary Busey, as Mr. Oh, Joshua sure. in Lethal Weapon, uh, who was not the main bad guy necessarily, but he was the enforcer. Of course, his big thing, uh, you remember this, uh, when he mm-hmm. would put the lighter under his arm. Oh, yeah. At the very yeah. beginning to show how loyal he is to the uh, to the main bad guy. Like he sits there, takes it. It turns out he's 
uh, special forces guy, which is also what Martin Riggs played by Mel Gibson is. So they, they know, uh, who one another are and how tough they are. So it, it boils down to a fight between the two of them on the front of Murtaugh's lawn at the end of Lethal Weapon. So he's the last bad guy standing. And then in two, you had Joss Ackland as, uh, as the diplomat from South Africa, the evil, South African diplomat who was all about apartheid. Uh, by the way, can I point out that this, uh, that, uh, this is from our fantastic researcher, Kate McManus. Um, the film Lethal Weapon 2 was shown unscheduled on Australian television the night that Nelson Mandela was elected president of South Africa in May of 1994. So yep. that is Australia saying, oh, congratulations, uh, South Africa. Why don't we turn on that South African movie with our guy in it, Mel Gibson? <laughs> Yeah, that was sort of a backdoor way for them to claim credit, wasn't it? Yeah, that's Australia going, you're welcome, South Africa. You're welcome. <laughs> we gave you Martin Riggs. <laughs> you know who did not play Martin Riggs that was up for the role of Martin Riggs, if I may? Please. Uh, Bruce Willis. Bruce yeah. Willis turned down Martin Riggs to play the role of John McClane, and Mel Gibson turned down the role of John McClane to play Martin Riggs. Uh, do you want to hear a few other people? That is fantastic. Is that one of those things where it's like Kennedy's secretary was Lincoln and Lincoln's secretary was Kennedy? They both had 18 numbers and or le- uh, letters in their name and whatever. Yeah, something like that. Though I don't think that um, Riggs or uh, John McClane have ever been assassinated while watching a play. This is true. Uh, I will say that, that those are the two. So Lethal Weapon has two sort of heavy hitting actors playing bad guys. I do not remember. Who plays the villain in Lethal Weapon 3? I know it is a corrupt former cop who I think is maybe stealing their pensions or something and uh, some weird thing, which is why Rene Russo is involved because she's internal affairs who is there to to investigate the entire division and, of course, winds up being the soulmate of Mel Gibson, who we know from the first film had lost his wife. His wife had been had been killed. Uh, and that's, again, one of the great things about the series of Lethal Weapon films. And you get this in Die Hard as well. There is carryover. You see mm-hmm. his relationship with his wife, played by Bonnie Bedelia, in Die Hard change from the first film. Then it's sort of rocky again in the second film. Um, by the third film, she's been written out again. Like, he he has to be kept alone. So there yeah. is an ongoing story of what is personal life and his kids grow up to not really – uh, be close with him. I th- Which is a really mean thing to do to an action hero if you're the screenwriter. It's like, all right, how do we make this guy's life really suck at the beginning of this thing? Well, that's the essence of like, uh, uh, the, the broken action hero or the, the mm-hmm. imperfect action hero. Cause neither of them are, you know, Bruce Willis is just a, a New York cop and he's not perfect and he's beaten up and bruised by the end of Die Hard. He gets through a lot of stuff by the skin of his teeth. Uh, which a lot of, like, we think of the invincible hero, but even in, in the Lethal Weapon films, they're beat up. By the end of, of Lethal Weapon 2, Mel Gibson has a knife in his leg. And, uh, you know, like, they, they, they are battered and bruised. But you find out, and this is, can't be a spoiler, it's been 30 mm-hmm. years since the first Lethal Weapon, uh, came out, mm-hmm. but you, you find out that his wife was killed by the bad guys in Lethal Weapon 2. So Whoa. he has a motivation. That's when he goes, I'm going to get him. I'm going to kill all of them. And then he goes and uh, they're in a, a stilt house in the hills of Los Angeles. Of course, Lethal Weapon uh, takes place in Los Angeles and he takes a truck and knocks the house over. Die Hard like also takes, takes place in Los Angeles. It does. It does. The first one does. 
Second Nakatomi one is Tower. Yep. Second one is Dulles Airport. Yep. Uh, third one is New York City. It's a, I loved the third Die Hard. It was a scavenger hunt around New York City. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And then the fourth one takes place, I believe, in the back of a semi. Yes. And on the internet. And on the internet. Takes place on the internet, uh, via the back of a semi where they have a mobile unit. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that Timothy Oliphant, who played a bad guy in that, and he was a bad guy in Scream 2, that he turned out to be a really great hero? I mean, have you watched Justified? I've not watched much of it. I watch a lot of shows one time, just, you know, one episode to sort of give it a shot. It's rare that I get hooked, but I'm like, oh, that was fun. It's like I watch a a bunch of short movies. Well, I'm I'm working my way through it. I'm in season three, and he's such Mm -hmm. a great, flawed hero. I I heard a great interview. He was interviewed by Terry Gross, and uh, she said, you're known for this steely stare that you have. How how do you come by that? And he, he said, well, if the cameras stop rolling and I remember everything that the other guy did, then I've done my job. And I thought, that is a great way of viewing acting. Wow. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Really good actor. I wish we'd had him in the Thrilling Adventure Hour. And I bet, I bet the Bens did too, because I know they were big Justify fans. We had Natalie Z from Justified. Uh, yeah. We had Natalie Z and, um, and we had his other co-star, uh, Jim Beaver. That's right. The lovely Jim Beaver. Yes. Um, oh man. He's such a good guy. Well, the Thrilling Adventure Hour had its own Tim O. That's true. Yeah. The great Tim O. We have to have Tim on. Yeah, we do. He's ready anyway, for us. Hal, we're, record- ready. we're recording an episode right now. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so what, are we talking more about – if in the villain category, I have to give it to Die Hard. Absolutely. Overall, more memorable – although, don't forget, in Lethal Weapon 4, although How that could film I? is not that great, uh, of course, you remember the, uh, the main bad guy enforcer in that one, right? Jet Li? Oh, Yeah. Uh, great. Another guy, you know, like Riggs is the one who knows how to fight. He was special forces. He's so he's a weapons guy. He's a sharpshooter and he knows how to fight. So you need a guy who is as good as him, if not better at, at fighting. Uh, here's a, here's a, a bit about Jet Li being a better fighter than anyone else. Yes. Uh, when they were making Lethal Weapon 4, Richard Donner, the director, had to ask Jet Li to slow down during action sequences because he was moving faster than the camera shutter speed and it wasn't registering on film. It's really amazing, isn't it? Yeah. That uh, a martial artist could move that quickly and with that much precision. Also, April 26th birthday, just like Carol Burnett and me. Oh. And also Melania Trump. <laughs> well, that's quite a, that's quite an interesting foursome for yeah. golf. She plagiarized uh, our birthday. <laughs> well, uh, th- here's here's the other thing about Jet Li is he was already a huge star in Asia, mm-hmm. and then this was his introduction to American uh, audiences. And of course, he has gone on to become a star in his own right. He was in the One. He was in uh, the 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 Sylvester Stallone series. I can't think of now. That's like a the, collection uh, of action the stars. Un- Untouchables. Yeah, the untouched, the un- No, I'm sorry, Uncrustables. Un- the Uncrustables. That mm-hmm. whole series, which also stars your buddy Dolph Lundgren. Hey, that's right. He's the crazy one. Yeah. Like, Explodables, that's it. He's the one. He's like, I want to be in the Explodables. And they're like, yeah. you can't be in the Explodables. He's like, I'm going to be crazy. They're like, okay, you can be in the Explodables. He's like, all right, let me get my gun. Yeah, so clearly you saw all of the Explodables movies. Oh my, I can't miss one Explodable movie. And it feels like, <laughs> I know there have been a few of them, but not enough. I need more Explodables. You know what? Honestly, I wouldn't mind if they made another Explodables movie. Those are uh unapologetically dumb fun. It's like the A-Team movie that came out. You remember the A-Team movie? Oh yeah. 
where he uh he leaps out of an airplane in a tank and uh guides the tank to the ground by shooting it. Yes. The thrust from blasting the cannon of the tank. I feel like the AT movie is the one where you look at stuff like that and if you think that it's ridiculous, go back and watch the show where they build a machine gun out of like a pipe, a box of band-aids, some nails, and a stick of dynamite. I mean, you know, the things that they would build to escape from a room, first of all, don't lock those guys in a tool shed. How dumb are you? <laughs> and don't put them in there together. But yeah. I mean, that, that, that. They'll be safe in this pet, boys. <laughs> They'll never get out. Trap them in the hunting section of a Walmart. <laughs> They're done for. But, oh. uh, you can't, like, that, that TV show was built on, on impossible premises and things being built. And the film, I think, one-ups that. It's just, I mean, it's fine. It's a good, it's an enjoyable movie. But yeah. is it as good as Die Hard or Lethal Weapon? No way. What What is, no. so when it comes to villains, Die Hard's, Die Hard wins. Hands down, Die Hard. Hands down. All right, so what's our next category? Uh, why don't we go with, I, I think when it comes to music, let's talk about the music for a second. And I Great. say this because I know that Ode to Joy is probably the song we, we most uh, associate with Die Hard, right? Yeah. But uh, well, I, I, just, I just think of – I think – I know Ode to Joy from Die Hard, but I also just think Christmas in general. Die Hard makes me just think about Christmas time and Christmas music. Right. Yeah. I mean they they definitely have the like jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. I forget which one starts – one of them starts with rocking around the Christmas tree. One of them starts with jingle bell rock. They both – Start at Christmas. That's, that's the funny thing is the first, the, Die Hard is more of a Christmas movie, but Lethal Weapon also takes place at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Are we going to have this argument again about whether or not Die Hard's a Christmas movie? No, we're not going to have that argument. Okay. Uh, what ho, I ho, ho, now I have a machine gun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, it is a Christmas movie, but, uh, <laughs> the music in, in Lethal Weapon, while there are some songs that appear in it, it's scored almost the entire way through by Eric Clapton. Play like yeah. he, it's almost like he was watching the film and just sort of like and there is a an iconic little like sting in there that like like that's that's sort of the music when I think of Lethal Weapon, How? I think of that piece of music. Yes, that was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, man. I'm well known for my mouth electric guitar. <laughs> um, yeah, the music, uh, the music from Lethal Weapon feels like it is action movie music. It fits. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, the music for Die Hard is juxtaposed. Yes. I mean, there is great scoring. There's a beautiful score, uh, to Die Hard, but music feels like it's used deliberately for comedy, uh, in the Die Hard series. Is it the same way in the Lethal Weapon series, would you say? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's a little bit more sobering. It feels, but it's more, it's also more symbiotic with the film. Wouldn't you agree with that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, as compared to Die Hard, where it's like a good score, it definitely has an epic feel, but there is mm-hmm. something about Lethal Weapon where the music to me feels more, uh, attached to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I think of that of of that electric guitar, which I mean you've got slow hand scoring your movie four times. <laughs> so that that in that way they're all familiar, but they're also right. all different. 
because he's playing something different each time, but he comes back to those themes that he created. So would you say that uh, the win goes to uh, Lethal Weapon in the music department? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, iconic music, Lethal Weapon. So, all right, let's, why don't we do, um, heroes? Okay. Okay. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about John McClane and I'll, I'll, since that's the way you lean and, and I'll do Lethal Weapon unless you want to do the other way around. Oh, no, no. Uh, John McClane is good for me. Okay, cool. Um, I think that, uh, John McClane, he sort of created this, I guess he didn't create it because he's got a lot of Indiana Jones in him, which is the, he's good at this. He doesn't want to have to use the skills that he has. And frequently he just gets lucky. Uh, the beauty of John McClane is he doesn't do anything just to be awesome. He does awesome things to find the uh, resolution that he wants. Right. He, the awesome things he does are for an objective when he wants to just be awesome that is all done with his mouth. He yeah. is, uh, he is a wonderfully mouthy character. He's a wisecracker. It's as if Bugs Bunny was in an action movie. Yes. Uh, which I love that. I love that wisecracking nature to him. That, I mean, that's Bruce Willis coming off of, or still doing moonlighting at the time, right? He was Absolutely. moonlighting when he made this movie. Yes, he was. Um, and he was, he was hilarious and great and fun and over the top on moonlighting. Uh, and this is a pretty over the top and fun movie. And no one can stare down, uh, a villain with his voice the way that Bruce Willis can. He is talking to Hans Gruber just over a walkie talkie. And it's one of the great showdowns in cinema, I think, at least in action cinema. Yes. Um, and also, there's uh, some pretty amazing shots of him doing really incredible things in these movies as an action hero. Now, I realize this isn't Bruce Willis. That All of that was Bruce Willis. Yeah. It's not just Bruce Willis that creates John McClane. John McClane is a combination of Bruce Willis, the writer, the director, the stunt team, uh, the special effects team. And all of those combined create a really amazing character who is fun and complex and has his dark side with his, uh, with his family, but also can ram a car up a toll booth into a helicopter because he was out of bullets. <laughs> well, and also in the first film, he uses a, uh, a fire hose to swing off the top of a building as it's exploding. Yeah. Off he's the, super the industrious. Yeah. He's smart. And he also, there's so many films where like, you see somebody get killed. You're like, take his gun, take his gun, take his ammo. Every time he kills somebody in the first Die Hard, he he grabs whatever he can off of them. Mm-hmm. Grabs Which cigarettes. is what you do in video games and real life, I assume. Exactly. Yeah, you try to be John McClane. You, yeah. Look, if you knock somebody over, nobody wants to stuff. be Murtaugh. Well, here's the thing. Uh, so, so McClane, McClane. Do you think McClane evolves over the course of? the four films that you saw as a character? Or do you think he um, stays pretty much the same? Like, he's just always John McClane in whatever situation. I feel like he's always John McClane. If there's any evolution, it's because we're introduced to more and more of his family as the series goes along. Right. And more and more uh, characters for him to relate to, like um, Justin Long in the fourth movie. Uh -huh. Not his son, but, you know, he has that sort of mentor-mentee relationship. But he's always John McClane. 
Right. I feel like you're leading this toward the characters in Lethal Weapon grow. I, I think so. I think they do. And certainly there's – Murtaugh does see him. He's the one who's always like, hey, hey Riggs, hey, Riggs, hey, Riggs, don't go in there, Riggs. Because he's reserved. He wants to live. Mm-hmm. He's got a family. You know, the job isn't all he has. In the, in no the first, excuse. You're in an action movie. <laughs> well, he does. Look, if you see him adjust his neck and pull his gun out, that means you're going to get shot. Because once he adjusts his neck, he doesn't mm-hmm. miss. That's That Ooh. Murtaugh has exceptional aim. With that hand cannon, he, he, uh, he, he, I remember Riggs in the beginning of Lethal Weapon when they first meet, he goes, huh, six shooter. A lot of old timers carry six shooters. So, uh, Riggs on the other hand is, is almost suicidal at the beginning of Lethal Weapon because he's, he's actually suicidal. He holds yes. a gun to his head. That's right. But he does not, uh, he doesn't play, he gets, he's ready to do it. And he doesn't pull the trigger, but that what that's what makes him an exceptional cop, even though he's a loose cannon, is he has nothing to lose. When the guy uh, up on the building wants to commit suicide, he handcuffs himself to him and goes, "You want to jump? Let's jump!" And then jumps off the building with him. Now yep. he's bringing him to safety, but also he didn't know whether the net was going to be there or not. So even in the course of that film yeah he learns that murtaugh is his family and murtaugh's family by extension becomes his family and there's an interesting relationship with him and murtaugh's oldest daughter where she has a crush on him and that develops over the course of the films either the same actors play the kids through all four films which is great so you mm-hmm. see those relationships change his his daughter is more involved uh, in the later films, his would son you is call, Yeah. Would you call this movie, as opposed to Bruce Willis was the only actor who was in all the Die Hard movies, right. would you consider the Lethal Weapon movies to be ensemble films? I think in a way they are for, for the type of film it is. I mean, it's essentially buddy cop. You could make the film with just Riggs and Murtaugh and not have the family there and it would still be a Lethal Weapon film. However, part of that film is how the family grows. And mm-hmm. you get to see their relationship evolve. So by the time you get to four, uh, you know, and all the films have like a fun little, not skit, but like the end of a case. Uh, it, oh, where sure. Something happens that is hearkening like- back to the dragnet episodes where they would go get a coffee at the beginning and go get a coffee at the end. Right. Or they're called out. I think the second one, they're called out in pursuit uh, of a guy that winds up being the, the little thread that leads them through the entire second film. But mm-hmm. by the time you get to the fourth film and they're facing off against a guy who is in a bulletproof suit with a flamethrower and he's just out terror. Like you don't know why he's there. You just know that there's a problem and <laughs> Riggs convinces Murtaugh to, to strip down to his boxer shorts and undershirt and go out and pretend to be a chicken. So that he can distract the guy with the, <laughs> with the flamethrower when Riggs then shoots the tank and blows it up and saves them. But he goes, Hey, Riggs, Riggs, what, why'd you have me move like a chicken, man? And Riggs is like, Oh, you didn't need to do that. I just wanted to see if you would. <laughs> so you get like, that is their relationship. They are yeah. the big brother, the, the annoying little brother. They are the best friends and family. So By the way, do, that's an impressive Danny Glover impression that you do. Thank you. I, the only way I can do a Danny Glover is just to hey, hey, Riggs! Hey, Riggs! Riggs! Um, you just see, like, th- th- how their relationship evolves and you watch it happen on film, to me, is really interesting. Especially, I think Riggs definitely evolves the most because he goes from being mm-hmm. suicidal in the first film 
to, to Rene Russo, to Rene Russo and being uh, a father in Lethal mm-hmm. Weapon 4, that she's pregnant. So all of a sudden he has something, you know, he can't just think of himself. He has to survive now for a family. So he's not, even though he's still not reckless, but, but bold, mm-hmm. he's not as crazy as he once was. He's just more, he's like a Bugs Bunny as well, even more so, because he'll come in and mess with people and shoot out a fish tank or, uh, I, I mean, there's some, there's definitely some racist stuff in, in Lethal Weapon 4, because they have, uh, the, the villains. Because they have Chinese. Mel Gibson in it. <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> come on. Uh, I gotta give a shout out to, uh, Joe Pesci. Oh, yeah. Well. Of course. Um, if we're going with if we're going with sidekicks, could, could we move on to sidekicks? Yeah. So wait, who do you think win? I, I think that Lethal Weapon. I hate going against John McClane. I love John yeah. McClane. I love the like the first Die Hard is such it's it's a perfect film for the type of film it is. It is it is perfect, and I will argue this point with anybody. So come at me, bro and sis. Oh, I look. I love I love the first Die Hard movie. I just watched it again a few days ago. But, and not even for this, just because it was on. I was like, oh, sweet, Die Hard. Yeah. When you um, watch the series move along, it becomes more ridiculous, as, as Lethal Weapon does, too. Mm-hmm. However, John McClane is the same in each one. He just has less hair later on. Well, then I will, as a uh, as a proprietor of the storytelling arts, Yes, I will agree with you that Lethal Weapon then will take this because the characters grow and mature. Yeah. I mean, do you – do you have a moment in in the Lethal Weapon films where you feel like you saw that evolution? I mean, is it just me? No, no, I saw it. Um, I think it's the moment when you know it's the end of the movie and they've beaten all the bad guys, and then they go back to uh, Murtaugh's house and um, and they see you know, and they it's like it's Riggs and the family are like. Cause the daughter and, um, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Have you not seen any of the lethal weapon movies? No, I have not. Let's take a commercial break. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome to pod phone. What type of podcast are you looking for? You have chosen. Funny podcasts about bad movies. Rated R. May we recommend The Flophouse. Three friends talk about bad movies and make each other and you laugh. Rated R. The Flophouse is playing at your ears. If you download it right now or whenever. Rated R. To purchase tickets to The Flophouse, you don't need to do that. Just download it. The Flophouse, rated R for nudity, I guess. Hey guys, this is Adam Conover. You may know me from my true TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. Well, guess what? Now we're doing a podcast version right here on Maximum Fun. What we do is we take all the interesting, fascinating experts that we talk to for just a couple minutes on the show, and we sit with them for an entire podcast, really going deep and getting into the fascinating details of their work. Find Adam Ruins Everything wherever you get your podcasts or at MaximumFun.org. Okay, so we're back we, from a break. I watched all of the Lethal Weapon movies <laughs> in the interim. Oh, awesome! I'm so glad. I know you. Cats did. out of the bag. I have not seen a <laughs> Lethal Weapon movie. Why? Ha- why not? 
Um, because I don't like Mel Gibson. No, I just never got around to seeing them as a kid. I was always, I felt like I had to pick. I was like, I could only f- get so many R-rated movies as a kid before you get caught, right? So, <laughs> I, well, you were, you lived a pretty lax life in your gorgeous, uh, super basement. Uh, my parents were a little stricter and our cookies were fat free and we were only allowed PG-13 movies. Hold on. First of all, I was not allowed to have sugar cereal as a child. Second of all, they didn't get that basement until I was out of college. (laughs) I just assume you've always had that basement. No, I believe me. In my heart, I have. My, my parents did take me to see a lot of movies and like I, I saw National Lampoon's vacation probably at an age that that most people uh, would not have seen it for the first time. Wait a minute. You saw Vacation in theaters? Not in theaters. I was I was six oh, okay. when it came out, but I saw it when I was like eight, I would say, right around. I know I saw European Vacation in theaters, and that was 85. Oh, European Vacation was my introduction to topless women. <laughs> exactly. Yes, in yeah. Germany. But um, mm-hmm. I saw Die Hard in the theater. My dad took me. He and I went and saw it together. Uh, and Lethal Weapon also. We saw those in the theater uh, I think my mother might have been there for that one too. We saw those movies. These as are a R-rated films, and you were a child. Yeah, but I understood that. First of all, I knew people said bad words, and I was not allowed to say them, so mm-hmm. I did not until until my parents were okay with it, which was way later. Um, and second of all, the like I just the violence didn't scare me. I guess I didn't think it was okay, and I didn't want to emulate it. But you know, it was, I, there was something about it. I was like, I get that this is a movie. And I'm really That's pretty it. healthy, actually, it, it seems like, because if you know, like, no, this is a movie, it's silly, it's over the top. Um, of course, these people are not really getting shot and falling off of buildings and yes. getting blown up. Like, so knowing that, it's kind of fun. And this was in an era before computer, uh, for, before computers really had taken over the special effects world. So these were all really cool practical effects. Absolutely. Um, so you could appreciate them probably, I, I guess by eight years old, I could, I could probably appreciate a good piece of movie making. I remember one of my strongest movie going memories was the first mm-hmm. time I saw Die Hard in the theater with my dad. I think my mother might have been out of town or something, or visiting someone or something. So we did it like as a guy's night and we went to see, I think a later showing. And mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, when he finally confronts, it's Hans and his, his wife. And one henchman, and he's got the gun taped to his back, which you see later. Mm-hmm. And he comes out. The, I, as he's walking out, I was like, oh, I hope he says, uh, hi, honey, or honey, I'm home, or whatever. And whatever, I forget what the line was, but that, whatever I had in my head was exactly what the line of dialogue was. <laughs> I was so, like, it was the greatest satisfaction. It's like when the bouncing logo of a screensaver perfectly hits the corner. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. So that 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 definitely bonded me to Die Hard uh as as a film. But Lethal Weapon 2 was just cool. Those guys were cool. That their dynamic was interesting and um, there was care taken in telling both of the stories and making them like interesting mysteries and how they were laid out or how how John McClane was going to survive. Like there there was a craft in in both of the films. Yes. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, uh, look, a good movie is a good movie. Um, whether, what, what, regardless of what genre it is, I find myself, I'll cry in an action movie. 
I will laugh at the funny parts of a drama. A good movie's a good movie. Right. And they come in all different genres. Even something as specific as 1980s action movie. I know I said that I have not actually seen I've seen enough of the Lethal Weapon movies that I kind of get the gist and the the elements of it have absorbed into me. And also my dad had the Lethal Weapon 2 soundtrack. Right. So I never saw the movie, but my dad had the soundtrack to Lethal Weapon 2. So all of my knowledge of the Lethal Weapon movies comes from uh what I've absorbed through pop culture and uh the homages paid to it in other movies and uh the soundtrack that my dad played all the time with the sweet saxophone music. Yes. <laughs> so uh, what are our next criteria? Um, let's talk about big explodies. Is that, is that, is that one of the things you wanted to talk about? Just action. Okay. So let's talk about big set pieces. Certainly die hard, memorable set pieces. Let's go across the whole series. Okay. Let's talk about things, things we remember. We we can both talk about die hard. I will handle lethal weapon. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Um, of course, Nakatomi Tower, uh, the unfinished parts, I remember very vividly. Mm-hmm. Um, I vividly, of course, remember the scene with him, uh, with the fire hose. Uh, another great moment. Um, Hans Gruber falling off the roof in Die Hard 1. Yes. Another really great moment. Um, William Sadler doing naked Tai Chi in front of his mirror in <laughs> Die Hard 2. <laughs> is that a set piece? Uh, or is that just I naked so. William Sadler? Um, the blowing up of the bad guy's plane to signal for all the other planes to land in Die Hard 2. Oh, yeah. It gives him the, the runway light. Yeah. The set piece for me that I found the most intriguing in Die Hard 3 was Jeremy Irons throwing shade at someone who doesn't know how to use a gun while eating a hard-boiled egg and walking toward him casually. Yes. <laughs> uh, Die Hard 4... I remember the truck with all of the cyber stuff on it. I remember a lot of it happening in cars and on freeways. Um, and then Die Hard 5, only from the trailer do I remember that, uh, that car launching into a helicopter bit. And see, you remember more of it than I do, cause I don't remember, I don't remember any of the pieces. I remember Die Hard 4 being better than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I like Justin Long in it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I don't remember much of of Die Hard 5 of Good Day to Die Hard. Um I don't remember a ton of big the things I remember in Die Hard 3 are all the things that he has to do. I know they have to race to a subway platform. Um they have to yeah, and figure they, out the they, jugs of water. Yeah, the jugs. Oh, I forgot about the jugs. That was a beautiful thing about Part 3 is it was like it was like playing one of those puzzle games. Like Yes. It was like Mist or The Room. But in movie form. Yes. You know, it's just exploring a world and doing puzzles. Yes. I'm 100% down for it. And Samuel L. Jackson, Zeus, is not supposed to be part of it originally, but he gets pulled in. Right. Um, Die Hard 2, I, just, I do remember the plane blowing up. I think I remember something happening in baggage. I know he's got, mm-hmm. like, one guy at the airport who's, like, a maintenance guy who's trapped in his office, who's, like, his friend. He's his oh. uh, Reginald Vell Johnson. Sure. Oh, shout great... out to Reginald Bell Johnson. Yeah, we'll get what? to sidekicks. Yeah, you wanted to talk about sidekicks, uh, but, but so we should. We'll, we'll, he'll definitely come up later. Mm-hmm. Um, as will Leo. I know we didn't really get into sidekicks yet, but uh, as far right. let's go to some big set pieces in in uh, Lethal Weapon. 
So in the first one, certainly the jumping off the building, uh, where the guy is threatening to commit suicide, which isn't really, I don't think really has anything to do with the story. It's just they get put out on a call and it shows. I have seen this scene. In the relationship. Right. Uh, yeah, I remember it's, it's a lot of fun. It's just, these movies are, are just all of these guys gobbling up scenery. Right. Absolutely. Um, um, the fight at the end, uh, is probably the, the, the to me, the most memorable action sequence. The, the Gary Busey fight. fight? Yes, where they're like mm-hmm. two guys who are expert fighters, neither one of whom is going to go, is, you know, going to get knocked out or ultimately defeated, um, just because of the sheer force of will that they have. And there are other set pieces too. There's the, the raid in the, in the desert. To go get, uh, I think his daughter has been kidnapped and they use, uh, they think that, that, uh, Riggs is dead at that point, but he's hidden somewhere, sharpshooting and they eventually capture him and they, they have him hung up and they're torturing him by, here's his interesting thing. Uh, one actor, Al Leong, uh, plays the, the bad guy who tortures Mel Gibson, who's electrocuting him, uh, but also plays uh, the the bad guy in Die Hard who's eating candy bars from the snack bar. He's stealing is like he a Mars only, bar and eats them. Is he the only person who is in both? I don't know for sure, but he's one. He's so uh, he has such a unique look and such yeah. a specific look that he stands out. He was also in Big Trouble in Little China. They can live. I tell you where I where I remember him most vividly from? Please, he is Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes. I remember yes. him running through the mall in the sporting sporting goods store. So he's off. He's one of those like character actor guys who mm-hmm. has been in a ton of cool movies. Um, he's now sixty four years old, going to turn sixty five this year. The pride of St. Louis, Missouri, also known as right. Al Kabong, because he's also a stuntman. Right on. Well, you know what? Uh, let's get Al Leong on the show. We should have had him on this episode. To yeah. talk Die Hard versus uh, Lethal Weapon. And he should also, you know what? Uh, he should be on uh, Gourley's podcast. He should be on I Was There Too. That's right. Uh, let's let's cast our own show first, Hal. Come on. We're not in charge of Gourley's show. All right. That's fine. I agree. We should have him on. Al, please come on. Besides, if he's going to have anyone from the Die Hard universe, he's got to have Gudenov. He's dead. Wait, what? Alexander Gudenov died years ago. The dude from Splash? Yes. And the money pit. Oh, man. Yeah. That's what I meant. Not Splash, the money pit. Is he in the money? Is he in Splash? I don't think so, but I just, I. He's Shelley Long's boyfriend. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. He plays Eddie also. Remember him in Big? Who was he in Big? He was Josh Baskin. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I loved him as Josh Baskin, Baskin in Big. I loved him also as Riggs and Murtaugh. In um, Lethal Weapon. Yeah, he's a real tour de force actor. He can do it all, yeah. even from beyond the grave. Do you remember when he played Al Leong in both uh, in both movies? <laughs> well, you should stop. We're <laughs> we're really ruining things for everyone right now. Well, that's the whole point of this podcast to ruin everything right. for everyone. Um, all right, what other criteria do we have? Let's talk sidekicks now. Sidekicks and secondary characters, because I would also like to throw from the Die Hard universe, Reginald Vell Johnson, of course. And William Atherton, one of the great character actor slime balls of history. Yes. Although he's not a sidekick. He's just sort of a scum. Yeah, he's a scumbag reporter. He's only in the first two films. Am I right? Right. Yes. 
But it's... colorful, colorful side characters, not necessarily sidekicks. Yes. But okay, well, look, let's get more specific to sidekicks. That's fine. Uh, you've got, for the diehard side, you've got Samuel L. Jackson, you've got Justin Long, um, Reginald Vell Johnson. You've got Reginald Vell Johnson in the first movie. Um, who was in the second movie? Who I would be don't, the sidekick? I don't remember not the really guy. One. It's the guy who's like in charge of maintenance at the airport and he's in Oh, like that his, guy. Yes, yes. So he helps him out and I forget the actor's name. I apologize to all of you. Well, um, you know what? Not memorable enough to make the list of the best sidekicks. Yeah. And Samuel L. Jackson is great. I almost, I almost mm-hmm. don't think of him as a sidekick, even though he is because he's not a cop. Like he's, mm-hmm. he sort of is forced into a sidekick role, but he is a strong, powerful businessman. He's trying to clean up and keep his, his neighborhood safe, uh, and make sure the kids aren't, uh, falling into bad habits or poor company. Mm-hmm. And he's super smart and helps solve pretty much all of the puzzles. So McLean wouldn't have made it through, through Die Hard with a Vengeance without him. That said, um, if we're going with sidekicks, I know enough about Lethal Weapon to know that Joe Pesci as uh as Leo gets That's right. in three of the movies, Lethal Weapon 2, 3 and 4. Yeah. And the character is played by Thomas Lennon now uh on the television <laughs> oh, series. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Leo gets is great. He's introduced as a witness that they have to protect and they take him to a drive-through to get food. And he gets upset because there's, I think he doesn't get ketchup and he goes on a diatribe. <laughs> he just, and every time he gets upset, if you threaten him, he goes, okay, 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 okay. Um, but that character, he goes and he's, he's like trying to become a real estate agent in the second, in the third film. And in the fourth film, he's, he's become a private eye, but he becomes like, he's like a comic. <laughs> <laughs> he becomes sort of like a punching bag. For Merton Riggs, they kind of the three of them have sort of a they sort of have a three Stooges relationship where Riggs and Murta are both Mo and and Leo is Larry. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just always, but he's such a good actor. And again, he becomes family. He wants to help them, but he was the guy who could, you know anything you want, Leo gets, and he uh, he's the guy who helps them. To find the bad guys. And I believe they take him, uh, captive and they're, tr- they, you know, they want to eliminate him because he is, uh, obviously somebody who can finger them and, and get them at, at least extradited back to South Africa, if not put in jail or, or worse in the States. Cause the whole thing in the second film is they have diplomatic immunity. So whenever they mm-hmm. get in trouble, Joss Ackland just goes diplomatic immunity. <laughs> Which, as as Murtaugh shoots him at the end, says, "Just be revoked." Uh, in a great exchange of lines, but he is, to me, man, it's it's a it's a three way fight between Leo Getz and uh, Samuel L. Jackson's Zeus and uh, Reginald Vell Johnson's LAPD Sergeant Al Powell in Die Hard. He's briefly in Die Hard too, but in Die mm-hmm. Hard, he's the, like the one guy on the cop side who believes McLean and is advocating for him as everybody mm-hmm. else sort of wanders around, uh, with their heads up their butts. He loves Twinkies <laughs> and he's, he won't draw his gun anymore because he shot a kid by mistake. Yeah. Until to be end. fair. 
to be fair, though, on the downside, he's not um, terribly perceptive in that to realize that something was going wrong at Nakatomi Tower, uh, Bruce Willis had to drop a dude on him. On his <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, no, no, everything looks fine here with this vaguely threatening security guard at the front and uh, total silence in this giant uh, towering building. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> uh, so, but I mean, he's still, he's a very notable character and a really good, uh, like Reginald Vell Johnson's a really good actor and yes. he became like most people know him as Carl Winslow and mm-hmm. it's great that he had that television show. And I hope that he's making a bunch of money off of it to this day. But to me, he will always be Sergeant Al Powell. That was, that was the first time I ever saw him and he plays a cop in family matters as well. Yes. He just looks like a cop. He does. He looks like he looks like a good-natured cop. He looks like the kind of cop that would, that would be like, if you're doing something physical, he's like, "Oh, I'll tell you. Back in the day, I used to be able to. I was the best." And then they like like loosens <laughs> up to do it, and then within thirty seconds, throws out their back and has yeah. to like lay on a board for a week. He also looks like the type of cop that wouldn't arrest you. He'd just throw out your weed. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you would know anything about that. No, no, not that I've ever had that experience in my life. No, never. Uh, so, so as far as sidekicks go, well, there's also. I feel like. Let me ask you this: If, yes. if we're on sidekicks, uh-huh. does one great Leo Getz defeat a, a a rogues gallery of uh sidekicks from the Die Hard series? All of them very good. Well, I think. <sighs> I don't think it does. But it's kind of, to be yeah, fair, it does, but I have not seen the movies. Here's another question. So, uh, Lorna Cole, played by Renee Russo, who is sort of like the female Riggs. Uh, I don't know if she would count as a sidekick. No, but we can make that a separate category and Renee Russo will definitely beat Bonnie Bedelia. That is true. So but Bonnie Bedelia does get that good swing in and she stands up to Hans Gruber in the first movie. But Renee Russo is Renee yeah. Russo. Yeah, I whose think- dialogue was written in Die Hard three, or whose dialogue was written in uh, Lethal Weapon three by none other than one of the world's great uh, cinematic script doctors and Princess Leia herself. I'm sorry, General Organa herself. Yes, uh, the late great Carrie Fisher. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? I think that I do think Sidekicks has to go to Die Hard because Zeus and Al Powell together. Le- yeah. Leo Getz is is great comic relief, but those mm-hmm. guys get things done. Yeah. So, great. so sidekicks goes to lethal weapon. So where are we standing right now? We're over an hour. Okay. Or we're, we're nearly an hour. So right now I'm going to say it's a tie. I think set pieces are kind of a tie. Uh, okay. and I forgot to mention my favorite set piece from lethal weapon, which is the toilet that's rigged with an explosive. Oh, I remember that. And Murtaugh is on it. Yes. And, and Riggs has to pull him into the bathtub. Mm-hmm. Which they've uh, put a blast shield in front of, and it's just a great moment, and also a good like tender moment between the two of them, where you know Riggs is not going to let Murtaugh get hurt, but also he's been sitting on a toilet forever because the because one by one the members of their squad are being killed by the South Africans because mm-hmm. they've been investigating, so that's the re- that's the retaliation. Um, 
so I, th- I think that's a tie. Are you, are you comfortable saying that, that set pieces are kind of a tie between the two? I'm comfortable with that. Over the course of an entire film. I think if it's Lethal Weapon versus Die Hard, Die Hard wins hands down. I think when you look over the course of the films, I think it, it kind of comes out to a wash. Mm-hmm. So we're at a tie. Lethal Weapon has heroes and music. Villains and sidekicks go to Die Hard. We've got a tie. So we mentioned it briefly. Are the women the tiebreaker? And in a world of uh, big, over-the-top 80s action hero movies, I kind of love that our tiebreaker for this is going to be the women in the films. Yeah. One of these women is going to put the film over the top. I have a feeling it's Renee Russo, I, with apologies to Bonnie Bedelia, who is great. She is, uh, you know... She's only in the first two movies. Now, Rene Russo is only in the second two movies. Correct. But, However, uh, when, yes. when we're looking at women, and look, the, certainly there is a problem with a uh, a lack of strong female characters being written in general. Not that there mm-hmm. aren't great ones out there, but there need to be more. There's a horrendous gender gap uh, in representation in films, for sure, across the mm-hmm. board, uh, and, and certainly gender identities as well. So – to look at these two films and say one wins over the other, it's, you know, it's a victory, but it's not a huge victory because Die Hard right. has, has Bonnie Bedelia, uh, as mm-hmm. his wife, as Holly Gennaro. Who decks William Atherton. Who decks William Atherton, I think twice. And goes toe to toe with, uh, goes toe to toe with Hans Gruber. Cause she sits with him on a plane in the second one. Um, um that's right. She is a, but if it's about, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. She, she is a strong woman, however, in Lethal Weapon, you've got uh, Lorna Cole, played by Rene Russo, who's only on, in two films, but is a strong character who don't need no man. Uh, she can shoot. She can fight. She's tough. She's smart. She can do it all. But you've also got Trish Murtaugh and Rianne Murtaugh mm-hmm. and, and Carrie as well, the Murtaugh women. Trish, um, played by Darlene Love, famous for her uh, Christmas songs from the uh, Phil Spector album. Yes. Um, and she's so good at it. And, and Tracy Wolf, who plays Rianne, she has a really complex relationship with her father because she's daddy's girl, but she wants to be an actress. And in the second film, she's booked a commercial and everyone's so excited. We're going to set, set your clocks because it's going to be on at eight o'clock on Thursday. And they all sit down to watch it. And that's when, uh, Murtaugh finds out it's a condom commercial. <laughs> so there is a complex relationship there, but she also, kind of grows into her own character by the fourth film she's secretly married to chris rock's character and so they they, which intrigue which riggs knows and murtaugh does not so it becomes a whole thing of keeping will he keep that information from him when's he gonna find out and chris rock who plays another detective because the last thing murtaugh wants is for his daughter to marry a cop because he knows how hard that's been on his wife so that that dynamic mm-hmm. is kind of a fun little thing uh in in Lethal Weapon 4. But Now if we're talking family, uh you've also got Mary Elizabeth Winstead yes in the Die Hard movies. Um so she's also a good strong female character. But as far as strong women goes, that definitely goes to Lethal Weapon. Yeah, so I think we have our answer. It took us over an hour to get there and these are mm-hmm. two Great film series. Not every film is a home run, but there right. are enough hits in there that they're both worth watching. I think, I think in, in particular that it's interesting to watch the Lethal Weapon films all in a row. 
And before you before you launch into your people of the world segment, yes, I will point out again that the decision that we have made, I hope no one is too terribly offended uh that we are lethal weapon is going to win this despite uh Mel Gibson's personal and political uh tirades. Yes. I I hope that that does not alienate any of our listeners. This is one of those difficult things where we are deciding on a film series and these are two that are sort of inextricably linked because they are they've become archetypes uh for for several films that have followed after them. And mm-hmm. you know, while Mel Gibson has done terrible things, the fact if he were a a murderer or if he had committed a a very serious crime uh, as other notable actors had, I think it would be a different ball game. But in this case, look, he's not a look. He's not that. He's not a great guy. It's really tough no. to get around it. However, those films, if you're gonna objectively look at them as films, if you didn't know the people involved, you have to give it to to Lethal Weapon. If it was based on the on the quality of characters. This would have been a, a 30 second episode. All right. So, uh, so people of the world, I'm, I'm not even going to go on a diatribe. There's not much else to say. We've explored these. I, I encourage you to watch these films and, you know, w- with whatever eyes you can. Certainly the first Die Hard is a classic. If you haven't seen it, that should be on, on like a list of films everybody should see. I don't know if it's on Craig's list. I wonder if it is. Oh. Our friend Craig Kukowski, yeah. shout out to Craig and his podcast where he is watching his top 100 films. Yes, with his wife, Carla. I was just uh, recently on on uh, an episode for, I think, film 83, which was Toy Story 3, uh, which is which <laughs> a blast. It is a, uh, a hilarious podcast that I enjoy a great deal. And I don't – I actually have his list. I know – people don't know what's on it, so I'm not going to ruin anything. But I can't remember if Die Hard is on it. I hope it is. If so. it is, then uh, let's both go on there and talk about it. Yeah. Craig. Craig, Carla. we're coming on your show. Carla, we're coming on your show. <laughs> just want to let you know. We know where you live. We'll be there yep, in just we a do. little bit. I used to live in the same apartment. Yes. Not with you guys. I lived in the apartment before they had it. <laughs> there you go. Yep. So, they, yeah, that was like the improviser's uh, apartment complex. That was, imp- that was the improv house. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, uh, it was a duplex. At one point, Craig and Carla lived in half, and I lived in half with uh, my now ex-girlfriend. And – um then when uh, we split up and she got married, moved out, and uh, Craig and Carla moved into that apartment. So it is – it's very cool. Uh, yeah. It would be fun to uh, hint, hint, record a <laughs> podcast in our old place. <laughs> uh, but as far as the uh, – as this subject goes, it is settled. Thank you, Colette, for suggesting that over email. So we do check the email, so we do take uh, topics from it. Uh, the winner in this case – is the Lethal Weapon saga over the Die Hard uh, saga asked and answered? Thank you very much for that, Colette. And also, uh, there are many more other topics out there for us to cover. So please, I encourage you to bring us your topics. Reach out to us on Twitter at We Got This Tweets or check out the Maximum Fun subreddit. A flame war is probably happening right now. Shoot us an email like Colette did at We Got This Podcast at gmail.com or join us on Facebook and have a conversation about what you just heard. I'll be on there talking with you. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash We Got This Podcast. Thank you. You know what? I want to go on there and talk to them too. You should log into Facebook. I told you about it. You got very excited and then you didn't do it. I did. 
I know. Next time we're face-to-face, we'll look at it together, and I'll show you how to use Facebook with Ooh, your grandpa. Cool. The Facebook. Yeah, get on the Facebook. Thank you to producer Ken Plume, researcher Kate McManus, graphic designer Uri Kelman, and QA engineer Jen Alba. Yes, thank you, Kate, for all of the information that made it sound for the first half of the show like I had seen the Lethal Weapon movies. Yes. Uh, thanks again, as always, to Mike Furman and Jonathan Dinerstein for our theme song and score, respectively. And, of course... Thanks to you, our listeners. Um, you guys, we did it. We made it through <laughs> another episode. I, I didn't know. I, I, I say the same thing every time. So I was trying to start something new, but it didn't happen. Um, I just want to say the same thing I always say, which is thank you for listening. And that is, uh, that's as simply as I can say it. And I really mean it. Thank you. We have a lot of fun doing this. Uh, for Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Gagliardi. And for Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Lublin. And don't worry, everybody. We got this. We got this. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.